Oh, it's that Pirates fan again. Yeah, yeah, I got the, Rich called the bullpen, I'm here. No, I, I feel like I need to apologize to some of you because the Pirates are in a five-game skid right now. But hey, it's good to be here. It's good to be here this morning with you all. Uh, my name is Andreas. I'm blessed with being one of the pastors here at Vertical Church, and I have the opportunity to oversee vertical students, and then also the opportunity to oversee, yeah, let's go, and the opportunity to oversee some outreach things uh, for this church and to help Pastor Rich any way that I can. But this morning, we're going to jump back into our series, But God. And we've been in this series for four, we're on our fifth week of But God. This man, listen, God keeps showing up. He keeps showing us that there's always more with him. But wait, there's more. There's more with God. And again, we're going to find that out this morning. And so I'm excited to dive into God's word with you and to see how God will use his word to impact our hearts and our lives. Amen? Amen. Well, let me encourage you with this. We've been kind of using this as our slogan for the series, but it's simply this. These are two words that have the power to change so much in our lives, but God. Six letters that not only changes our perspective to which we look at life, but the direction of our lives themselves. They're not two... They are two words that come with the full force of the creator of the universe. No matter how big the obstacle is in front of you, God is bigger. No matter how tall the wall of defeat is, God is taller. And no matter how menacing the giant is staring you down and telling you you can't, God takes him down with a single stone. But God. That's some good stuff. This morning we're going to tackle our fifth but God statement. But before that, let's come to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, God. We thank you that you have blessed each and every single one of us with being here this morning. Despite the rain, despite the, despite the clouds outside, you've blessed us with being here. We thank you for that. As we close the series this morning, Father, help us to get all that you want out of this, help us to get all that you want of us out of this series today. Please soften our hearts and our minds. Several of us, we walked in here with with so much in our minds, Lord, there's so much going on in this world, obstacles, difficulties, and situations that honestly seem daunting. Father, we ask that over the course of the rest of this service, God, we just pray that our hearts and minds would be fixed on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I don't know about how many of you have a favorite television show, um, but growing up, I had several, all right? And one of my favorite shows, it wasn't on Nickelodeon. How many Nickelodeon fans we got? Oh, yeah. All right. I, I appreciated Drake and Josh, just saying. Anyway, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't on Cartoon Network, and it wasn't on the Disney Channel. Uh, believe it or not, one of my favorite shows was on the Discovery Channel. Some of you are like, okay, yeah, the Discovery Channel. And I think most of you know the show, but The Deadliest Catch? I mean, that's a good show. I enjoyed, well, yeah, we got people clapping the back. It was a good show. I remember as a kid, you know, watching the, the massive waves and the Bering Sea going over these massive ships and all these workers on, the, on these massive boats running around like they have no idea what's going on. You know, it was like super um, interesting and, and super invigorating to watch, right? Uh, I don't know if I enjoyed it because Mike Rowe was the narrator or what, but that definitely helped. That was definitely a benefit to the show. But I think part of it was that there was this massive challenge that these fishermen had. They literally had to go into the middle of the Bering Sea during winter, below freezing temperatures, 
to get these king Alaskan crab out, out of the ocean, right? It's not an easy task. And, and their shifts would be so long that they would barely sleep, right? And they would be far away from their families for months on end. And then, and then you had the, the, the risk that was involved. Alaskan uh, king crab fishing is considered one of the most deadliest jobs in America. The high percentage of uh, uh, death rate is, is very high. And then you had the reward, right? If they came back with a boat full of Alaskan king crab, they were making bank, right? It was there. They could leave and, and go back to wherever they were from with a, a wad of money, right? So there was, there was this, this challenge and this risk and this reward. It was just an awesome television show. And then I thought to myself, man, those crabs, they, they look nasty, right? They a little bit. Like, they're crawling all over each other, and they're, they're, they all think they're better than each other. They're trying to get out of these massive cages, right? And I thought about us as believers in Jesus, and I thought about the church, and I thought about our passage today. And I don't know how many of you have heard of a crab mentality, but let me just say, it, it's, a, it's a real thing, right? The crab mentality, or, or some call it the, the crab bucket syndrome, but it's basically when crabs struggle to get out of a bucket or out of a massive cage or the trap, right? And, and they're trying to pull each other down. They're, they're, they're like, I don't care about the other crab next to me. I just want to get out, right? It's this mentality that basically, I think as human beings, we grab a hold of as well, right? We, we, uh, we want to pull each other out of uh, jealousy, self-preservation, or we have a, a herd mentality. Of course, crabs are just doing what they are designed to do, to reach for, to grab, and to pull themselves around the objects surrounding them. Uh, one author, I read an article about this, he said this, he said, the crab mentality says this, if I can't have it, neither can you. He adds, here's what you and I need to realize. Sometimes we're the victims of the crab effect, and sometimes we're the instigators of it. Sometimes you're the one being pulled down, and sometimes you're the one pulling the other down. I was like, wow, that got me, man. I was like, I'm sure for most of us in this room, we can tell when we're having this crab mentality, when we're not really loving others the way that we should, right? And last week, we talked about four benefits of God's love and how we are called to love others as Christ loved us. But the Bible calls us not to play the childish games of jealousy, rather we are to love those around us. Unfortunately, the church isn't exempt from the crab mentality. We've all seen churches split and divide over certain differences, unfortunately. This morning, we're going to look at a church battling deep division in our fifth but God statement, but God gives the increase. Our question for this morning is, what is the cure to division within the church? What is the cure to the crab mentality within the church? Well, let's look at 1 Corinthians. We're going to open up our Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians. Last week, we were in the book of Romans, right? So it's going to be your next book over, is the book of 1 Corinthians. And the book of 1 Corinthians, again, was written by the Apostle Paul. I tell our students, if you, if you guess Paul, you're going to be right most of the time, right? Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, and, and today, uh, Corinth is, is really insignificant, uh, besides historical, um, besides historical value, uh, but in the New Testament times, it was a thriving, prosperous, and strategically located city. Uh, Paul actually had spent a year and a half of his time over in Corinth, 
And you know what he did for that year and a half? He got to know the inward workings of this church. He got to know everyone who was there. He got to know the, 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 the good stuff about the people there, the bad and the ugly. Okay, So Paul knows this church really well. And he's writing to this church because what happens is, earlier on in 1 Corinthians, we find out that a member of Chloe's household is writing to Paul and telling Paul there is deep division that is occurring within this church. It is tearing this church apart. What does Paul do? Paul knows immediately he has to write a letter to this church. He needs to confront the sin within this church and Holy Spirit inspire, he pens the book of 1 Corinthians in A.D. 55. He pens this while he's in the city of Ephesus on a missionary journey. And he's about to leave Ephesus to go to Macedonia, and he finds out all this stuff's going on. And basically, the big idea of the book of 1 Corinthians is this, Christian conduct within the church. Christian conduct within the church. This book is, is broken up into five different parts. The first part of 1 Corinthians is simply this. It tackles division. It tackles divisions within the church. So chapters 1, chapters 2, chapter 3, and even chapter 4, it all talks about division in the church, how to combat division within the church. We've all seen it. We've all been a part of something, I'm sure, for most of us in this room where we've seen division in the church. Tear people apart, tear churches apart, and the same thing was happening to this church over 2,000 years ago. And so Paul's going to give us, he's going to give us five remedies to combat division within the church. And so let's open up our Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 to 9. Verse 5 says this, what after all is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe? As the Lord has assigned to each his task, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. Amen. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God, who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. And verse 9 says, for we are co-workers in God's service, and you are God's field in God's building. Amen. We're going to see five remedies to combating division within the church. Our first remedy is we are going to see that we are servants and God is the king. We are servants and God is the king. See, during this time, Paul's writing this letter to the church of Corinth, and what's happening is, what's causing this division is simply this. They're playing the popularity contest. The people in the church of Corinth were like, hey, I follow Apollos. No, I follow Paul. Paul's the man. He's a better preacher. He knows more than Apollos. No, no, I follow Peter. Peter's much better than Apollos, much better than Peter. See, what they're doing is they're playing the popularity contest with God's servants. And Paul's like, we can't have that. We're not in elementary school. We're not in middle school. It's not about popularity. It's about Jesus Christ. And I think today we see this. We see this within churches. We see this within our Christian culture where people are like, oh yeah, I listen to so-and-so. Oh, you should listen to him. Oh no, I don't like that guy. I listen to this guy. Listen, that's, that's outrageous. 
That's absurd. There's nothing wrong with suggesting sermons to someone saying, hey, listen to this person. He's really good. Um, he gets the word across. But when you start saying, oh, this dude's better, this dude's better, that's, that's absurd. It's not about who's the most popular preacher or, or servant of the Lord. All it's about is pushing forward, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. So my hope and prayer is that for every single one of us in this room, that we don't start making it a popularity contest, including myself. I do this sometimes too with my friends. I'll be talking about certain pastors or preachers, and I lose track of the fact that these are just men, fallen, broken men that God is using to proclaim the gospel. Okay, So we are servants. This is the first remedy. We are servants and God is the king. We need to remind ourselves of this daily. When we remind ourselves that we are the servants and God is the king, this is one way we can combat division. One of the many ways. So what happens is, in verse 5 it says, what after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? What does the passage say? Only, only servants. Only servants. It doesn't say they're the king. It doesn't say that they're simply amazing. It says they are only servants. And this word servant, it doesn't just mean servant or someone who serves. It means something much more than that. It means someone of, of lowly value or someone uh, of a, 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 lowly, a lowly worker. Okay, I like to think about this way. Basically, what this passage is saying is, is Paul is saying, Apollos and myself, we are the table waiters. We wait tables. We are the bus boys. We clean up after your dinner. There is nothing special about us. And that's what Paul is trying to get across to the church of Corinth. He's like, do not start to divide because we're just lowly bus boys. That's what the, if you break down that Greek word servant, you take it further, it's what it means. Table waiter. I remember when I, in high school, when I worked at a, a, a restaurant, man, that was tough. <laughs> Woo! Never again, hopefully. Um, for those of you who work in restaurants, man, props to you, okay? I was a dishwasher for six months at a, a massive restaurant near, near my hometown when I grew up, where I grew up. Man, I dreaded it. <laughs> But listen, it was hard stuff. But there was nothing special about me being that dishwasher. And there was nothing special about the person waiting tables or the person who was cleaning up after people, right? Every one of us, you know, we have an identity in Christ, but there was nothing special about us. We're just there to serve and to work, right? We were not the ones who owned the restaurant. See, Paul's saying God is the one who owns and operates the restaurant. We're just the, the workers, we're the people serving, right? So we are servants and God is king. This is how Paul puts it, man. He puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 13. He says this, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Whew. I can't imagine reading that, like being a part of that church and reading that. That's, that's straightforward. Paul's like, I didn't die for you. Jesus did. I'm nothing special. Apollos is nothing special. Peter's nothing special. But Jesus is. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Were you baptized in the name of Apollos or Peter? 
No, you were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's getting this point across. Paul's trying to do this. He's trying to point the Corinthians' eyes upward instead of eye level. You see, as human beings, what do we look at as a pinnacle? As, as, what do we always put up on a high pedestal? We put men up on a high pedestal. We do this with athletics, right? Think about it. We literally call a- athletes in sports goats, the greatest of all time. What are we doing when we say that? We're putting them on a pinnacle. We're putting them on high esteem. Paul's saying, don't do that. The only person that deserves that is Jesus. We don't just do it in sports. We do it in our jobs, with our bosses. We do it in our families, with our spouses, with our kids. Our eyes need to go upward to Jesus and not eye level. God is the object of our faith. Not a pastor, not a preacher, not a person who serves in the church. God is the object of our faith. Simply put, Paul is saying, Apollos and I are not the king God is. He's saying, we are a lowly paintbrush used by the artist himself. When someone looks at a Van Gogh or someone looks at a well-known painting, Andy Warhol, they're not like, man, that brush was awesome. That palette was amazing. No, they're like, Van Gogh was awesome, dude. That painting is epic. I can't believe he did that. Or Andy Warhol, I can't believe he painted that. They look to the one who created the piece, not the tools being used. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we are the tools being used by the creator, God Almighty, to reach others for Jesus. And so we need to remind ourselves to combat, to combat division within the church that we are lowly servants and God is the king. So our first remedy for today is, is that against division within the church, we need to remember we are servants and God is the king, right? And our second remedy is this. We can plant and water, but God alone gives the growth. God alone gives the growth. Verse 6 said, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. You know, I, I've talked to several people uh, in the community recently we have a lot of people who are planting seed right now, right? A lot of people, right? It's, people are getting ready. And I love what Paul does here. He says that he uses basically a farmer, farming me, uh, metaphor. And he says he's basically trying to explain that he's the one who planted and Apollos is the one who watered, right? If I go outside, and if anyone here, in here is a farmer, and they go outside and they plant seed, they water it, listen, they're hoping that the miracle of life, that that thing grows. They're not the ones who, who's making it grow, right? They did the right things to help it grow, but they're not the ones who are actually making that plant grow and thrive and survive, correct? They're just helping it. They're doing what they're called to do in order to help that plant. And the same thing when it comes to ministering Jesus to other people. When we proclaim the gospel to others, We are just those who are planting or watering. We cannot force spiritual growth upon someone. We can't save anyone. Only God can save them. 
You know, uh, I spent a couple years in Cleveland, Ohio. My wife and I did, and I had the opportunity to coach baseball at a local high school. And I got to meet with a guy um, every week, one of the coaches. And it was awesome, man. We, de- we developed a deep relationship with one another. And it was basically a, a discipleship kind of relationship where he was a newer believer in Christ. Uh, he had professed faith in Jesus. And uh, I was so excited, man. I was like, dude, let's, let's go. Let's dive into the Word together. We met at a first watch. Who doesn't love first watch? Anyway, <laughs> sorry. It was great, right? We would get together for breakfast. But you know what happened? After a year and a half, he ended up moving to a, a coach at a different high school, local, but we lost contact with one another. He started to go down a different path, a path that wasn't necessarily God-honoring. And sometimes I need to remind myself, all I can do and all you can do is plant and water. But God is the one who is to bring about the spiritual growth. Man, that's a weight lifted off my shoulders. I don't know about you, but that's a weight lifted off my shoulders. No, I can't save anyone. Only God can. He's the only one who can bring about growth. So I want to leave us with this as the big idea this morning. The cure for division is setting our eyes on Jesus instead of ourselves. It's simply that. The cure for division is setting our eyes on Jesus instead of ourselves. You know, my father-in-law, he puts it this way. He's simple. Two words. Eyes up. Eyes up. So next time you see division occurring or you feel like it's about to happen, eyes up. Because when we focus on ourselves, when we think we're the ones who are creating the spiritual growth, or we think that we're so high and mighty, because we're looking at ourselves, we need to look to the one who's greater. We need to look to the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega. Because we are lowly servants. We're waiting tables and bussing. That's it. So our second remedy against division within the church was to remember that we can plant and water, but God alone gives the growth. Our third remedy is we amount to nothing compared to God. We amount to nothing compared to God. And that's facts. This is what verse 7 says. It says, so neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Verse is simply saying, you and I, we are nothing compared to God Almighty. He is all-powerful. He is sovereign. He is all-knowing. You and I, we're those lowly servants called to further his message. Paul and Apollos and Peter Just random dudes furthering the gospel message. This verse verse shows us that the servant is nothing, but God is everything. There's a a well-known pastor, his his name's H.A. Ironside. I believe he's in glory now, but he says this. He says, just imagine a family with a number of servants. Here is Chloe, Nellie, Tom, and Bill. And the whole family is upset because some are saying, I am of Chloe, I am of Nellie, I am of Tom, and I am of Bill. This is, this is what, what H.A. Ironside says. He says, what? 
The whole family divided over servants? What absurdity. And he's saying that to you and I. We cannot become divided over servants. We need to have our eyes fixed on Jesus. Because as servants, we amount to nothing compared to God Almighty. This is why John says in John 3.30, He must increase and I must decrease. He must increase and I must decrease. Too many of us, we get on our high horse. We think, man, I led this, I led this person to Jesus. Or I did this, or I did that. Oh, I served countless hours at the church. I served countless hours at the homeless shelter. That's great. But that is nothing compared to what God Almighty has done for you through Jesus Christ. We could serve the rest of our lives. We could serve four lives ahead of time. It will never compare to what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. Never. That's why the Bible says that our, our, our works are but filthy rags. The cure for division is setting our eyes on Jesus instead of ourselves. Eyes up. Now we have our fourth remedy. We are one and we have one mission. We see this in verse 8. It says, the one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. And they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. I think sometimes we forget that every single one of us who believes in Jesus, we are simply one. We are one in Christ. We are all on equal ground. There are no such thing as super Christians. Just because someone preaches or someone leads a ministry, that does not mean that they are greater or better than a person picking up trash after service. We are all on level ground at the foot of the cross. Each body part of the church matters. And we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 14. It says this, Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given one spirit to drink. Verse 14, even so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. We all make up the body of the church. It's just like a sports team. I remember uh, in college playing sports and we had a, we had a player on our team. He was horrible okay? Absolutely horrible, okay? This kid should not have been on a collegiate athletic field at all, okay? He would tell you that, you know? Anyway, this, this dude, man, he, he did his best every practice, every game, but you see, he understood his role. He understood that, first of all, the team I was on was horrible, okay? We lost so much, it wasn't even funny, okay? Secondly, he knew that he needed to encourage us, to build us up, just to see us win a couple of games. He would be over there doing the scorebook all the time, and he would be chanting, yelling, and he knew, he knew he wasn't going to play. And you know what? One time he got to bat. We all know what happened. <laughs> he sure got in three straight pitches. But here's the thing. He grabbed a hold of the task that he, he was given, and he ran with it. He didn't care if he was the one who was batting third in the lineup or if he was a starting shortstop 
All he cared about was serving his teammates. For those of us in this room, it's not about who, who, who's running a ministry or leading a ministry or who's preaching or, or who's doing X, Y, and Z. No, it's simply about serving others for the goal of pointing others to Jesus. That's we are one. And then we have one mission. What's our mission here at Vertical Church? Make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. This is our mission. We here at Vertical Church, we are one, and this is our mission. We need to go out into the world and to share this mission with others. And we get it from Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20. It says this, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of this age. This isn't a suggestion from Jesus. This is a command. This is for us to go and to tell others about who he is and what he's done. This is our purpose. The verse said, it said that he who plants and he who waters, they have one purpose. This was Paul's purpose. This was Apollos' purpose. And this was Peter's purpose. To reach others for Jesus. Not only to reach them for Jesus, but to help them grow up in their faith. Because how many times do we, we see a person come to faith in Jesus, but we, we don't see them grow in Jesus? We need to have both. Both needs to take place. So the cure for division is setting our eyes on Jesus instead of ourselves. Here we go again, eyes up. Our fourth remedy against division within the church was to remember we are one and we have one mission. Our fifth and final remedy is this. We are the church and God owns us. God owns us. Some of us don't like to hear that. Someone owns me? Yeah, God does. Even if you're an unbeliever in this room, God created you, formed you in your mother's womb and knows every single thing about you. And at the end of the day, he's the one who owns you. We don't like that because we're proud, very prideful people. The first time I heard that, I didn't like it. And I started to understand he's greater. He's sovereign. He's over everything. We think that we're the ones in control of our lives. We're not. He is. Paul and Apollos, it says in verse 9, it says, for we are co-workers in God's service. It says, you are God's field and God's building. See, they were simply God's fellow workers. The ministry didn't belong to Paul. It didn't belong to Apollos or to Peter. No, the ministry belonged to Jesus Christ. The church in Corinth didn't belong to those dudes either. It belonged to God. Vertical church doesn't belong to Pastor Rich, Pastor Dre, or the elders, or anyone else who, who's on staff here. No, it belongs to Jesus Christ. And you know what? God bought each and every single one of us. It says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, it says this, Christ bought us with his blood. He bought us with his blood and made us free from the law. In that, in that way, the law could not punish us. Christ did this by carrying the load and by being punished instead of us. It is written, anyone who hangs on a cross is hated and punished. God bought you with a price. The price of his son on the cross. That's mind-blowing. Yes, how does God own me? He purchased you. 
but the blood of his son. So we need to put our eyes up. I love what Hebrews chapter 2 verse 12, or I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Eyes up. The pioneer and perfecter of faith for the joy set before him he endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Thank you, Jesus. We need to put our eyes on Jesus in order to combat division. Doesn't matter if a church looks super healthy on the outside. Every church is struggling. Why? Because we are full of broken people. Every single one of us is imperfect. The church is not perfect. If you came in this morning thinking everyone in here has their stuff together, I'm sorry, you're wrong. We don't. We might look like it, but we definitely don't. You're like, wow, it's a super nice building. Oh, we don't have our stuff together, okay? This is all by the hand of the Lord. So what are three simple ways for us to put our eyes up on Jesus instead of eye level? First one is this, daily time in the word. Simply that. These aren't anything new. These are things to be reminded of. How do we put our eyes on Jesus? Daily being in the word. Daily. Daily means consistently. It's great if we can get in there once. I like, that's what we need to do. But if we can be in there more than once every day, that's what's up. God's really going to use that. Secondly is this, developing a consistent prayer life. Developing a consistent prayer life. When was the last time you went into a closet or you went into a room by yourself or whatever, you were by yourself and you just prayed. You poured your heart and soul out to the Lord. We need to develop a consistent prayer life. And thirdly, we need to surround ourselves with other believers. These are three ways that can help us to put our eyes on Jesus because when we surround ourselves with other believers, they're encouraging us, hopefully, Lord willing, to become more like Jesus and to point us towards him. I love what Pastor Warren Wearsbury says. He says, the Christian life is not a playground. It is a battleground. And we must be on guard at all times. Simply that, the Christian life is not a playground, but a battleground. You know, if you think about the deadliest catch, earlier we mentioned it, think about it with me for a moment. Those guys, the whole time they're on that ship, they have to be mad cautious because at any point, a crane could come swinging and knock them off. At any point, they could slip on ice. At any point, they could fall off that ship. And do you know what they tell the, the deckhands? Eyes up. Your eyes need to be focused because when you're not focusing, when you're not awake, you get swept off by the waves and you end up dying. And as a church, we need to put our eyes on Jesus Christ so we are not swept off and taken by the waves. God has blessed this church. We need to keep our eyes on him and not on ourselves. We are lowly servants. There's nothing special about any of us. We're simply just called and given a task. That's it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, God. We thank you of this message of of how to cure division within the church. God, we've all seen it. We don't like it. We hate when our flesh comes out. We hate quarreling. We hate inward fighting. God, we pray that you would help each and every single one of us in this room 
to place our eyes on you. Help us to have our eyes upward towards you, Jesus. We are but lowly servants. Remind us that we are servants and you are the king. You call us to be one because we have one mission. Help us to bring glory and honor not to our own name, not to the name of Vertical Church, but to the name of Jesus Christ. In your son's name, amen. Before we dismiss this morning, I just want to encourage you, the prayer team is going to come forward and they're going to be up here to pray with you. If you have any questions about who Jesus is, maybe this is the first time you heard about this man named Jesus, or maybe you just need prayer. Maybe you got a lot going on in your life. Um, They're going to be up here and willing to pray. All right, God bless you all. Thank you.